All information contained in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. You should consider the appropriateness of this information with regards to your individual objectives, financial situation and needs. Welcome to Sharing More Than The Sheets, a podcast to help you and your partner make better financial and lifestyle decisions so that you can both focus on the things that you love. I'm your host, Michael Curry, financial planner, green thumb, husband, and just dad. As a financial advisor, I talk to clients about many different parts of their lives, and part of that is investing, and part of investing could sometimes be property. Now, as a financial advisor, I'm not licensed to give advice on direct property. We discuss the financial side of it, of course. But today I've invited Jonathan Preston with us to discuss property. Now, Jonathan is a mortgage broker, but is also the founder of the Australian Property Podcast. He is a property investor himself, and he has a lot of experience in the area and has worked with many property investors over the years. So I thought there's no one better than Jonathan to join us to talk about this exact topic of property to kick off our property series. So Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's um, I, I greatly appreciate it. It's great to be here with you today. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Does it feel weird being on someone else's podcast for a change? <laughs> uh, it's, it's very generous of you to invite me. And um, yeah, it is a bit unusual. I'm used to sort of ranting to myself. Uh, so it's, it's a nice change. I appreciate it. Yeah, nice. Um, well, I mean, could we for, probably start off by just maybe talking about um, your, your background in property and, um, you know, why you've, you know, what sort of has directed you to specializing in this particular area? It's a very good question. I guess, um, like many, I was sort of uh, bitten with the bug, if you will, in terms of wanting to buy a, a sort of builder portfolio over the years. Um, I'm actually from New Zealand initially. My parents were sort of um, from a property investing kind of background. Um, we actually liquidated everything we owned in New Zealand before moving here, which in hindsight um, was a big uh, mistake because um, um, New Zealand property went up so much. But yeah, my parents actually, I guess, gave me some sort of uh, guidance in terms of becoming an investor. Um, I did do all the investing you know, with my own funds and everything like that, but they gave me some, uh, I guess, early inspiration. Um, I've been investing now since 2012, so uh, about 10 years of uh, property investing. Um, I've got six properties at this moment, and hopefully we'll be able to expand on that. Um, and yeah, as a broker, I've been working in the space for more than six years now, done over 380 million resi loans, and um, and the podcasts were over 500 episodes now. So I've been fortunate enough to uh, work with many investors to build out their portfolios. And um, yeah, really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you today. And, and 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 with all that, you've you've obviously worked with lots of property investors. And can we probably? I'd, I'd love to talk about. Because many people listening to this probably don't have any property or maybe they've got one property and they're thinking of, okay, I want to buy a second or buy a third property, for example. And and, and as an advisor, I always talk to people about diversification and, you know, especially when we look at asset classes and not having all your eggs in just one basket or, you know, or one type of basket, if that makes sense. But just from a property perspective and just, you know, in your opinion, over the years, what have you seen those that do it well? What have you seen them do well? What, what have you seen them look at? What have what strategies have you seen that ha- have worked? Well, one of the key things I would say that is, um, I guess, somewhat interesting is that um, in my work, I do get to see everyone's financial positions and what 
you know, that allows me to see is their assets and liabilities. And what I see for most people is that when they've bought property, they've often held it for a very long period of time. And that's allowed, you know, the compounding and the growth to take place. And so what I've seen is that a lot of people's family wealth has been built just by buying property and holding it for a very long period of time. And the people who, um, you know, stayed on the renting cycle and never ended up buying uh, are the ones that sort of missed out on the compounding for all those years. So um, I guess being in the market would probably be one of the key differentiators I see between those who often have built quite a bit of wealth and those who are still, um, you know, sort of struggling a little bit to, to get ahead, you know, with the current cost of rent and everything like that. Um, so that that's something I've definitely observed over the years, yeah. So, so, so essentially starting really and not just um, hanging around and just waiting for – for years and years, because I think that's the rule with any investing in a way as well, isn't it? Because it's it takes a lot of guts. It's very easy to research investing, especially you know property investing, for example. But it does take a lot of guts and confidence to be able to actually do it um, and just be in there. Exactly. And the way I like to think of it is that you've got to compare sort of what the downside risk is versus the upside. So for example, you know, you might be looking at the market right now and you might be thinking, oh, wow, you know, maybe I'll be able to get a cheaper property in, you know, three months, six months, a year, who knows with where interest rates are going and and things could move. But, um, you know, Basically, even if things were to go down, say, you know, 20, 30%, you know, that might be your risk, right? But what happens over the next 20, 30 years? What if that property then doubles, triples, quadruples? And again, you know, who knows what will happen over that time? But you can see here, like, uh, do you want to potentially miss out on those, you know, multiples um, and, you know, all just to save that 10, 20% trying to pick the bottom? So certainly I do think, you know, getting into the market and time in the market is more important um, than trying get the you know exact perfect time to buy if that makes sense yeah yes and and what else would you say is um probably the you know one of the other strategies or or i guess the thing that you've seen that you've thought wow okay that person got it right or that person knows what they're doing yeah, so let me go through, I guess, a couple of sort of things I've have uh, observed over the years. I do talk to a lot of people, and so that does give me um, a good perspective in terms of where people are up to in their journey. And I have noticed that there is quite a big difference in between um, the way some people approach buying property versus others. So I'll go through a couple of items. So, for example, one of the things I note with often first home buyers or people uh, who perhaps are not as sort of investment savvy, their, their interest perhaps otherwise, is that they may um, jump into something without much prior research or they may take like a a tip from a friend or something like that. So um, one of the key, I guess, differentiators is a starting point here is that um, to have a bit of a plan to start thinking about this in advance and sort of know where you're at uh, a bit financially is probably the first step. And um, the, the contrast to that is, you know, where I get people who turn up and they say, hey, we found something on the weekend. We weren't even planning to buy a house, uh, but we love the house and we're going to make an offer right away. And so I guess the first thing to note is that, um, yeah, that the, the preparation piece is very important. And that's a big differentiator, um, I guess, you know, that I've seen in terms of sophisticated buyers versus sometimes first home buyers into the market. So that's probably the first point that I'd mo- um, note there. Does that does that make sense? And I guess has that oh, been definitely. consistent with what you've seen? D- definitely, I think it's again, it's like it's like anything. If you, if if you plan it, it makes it a lot easier to to, to execute. It because otherwise, you're trying to execute something that you don't have a plan for, um, and uh, it's 
you know, because again, when I talk to clients and they, they, they tell me the same thing that they're looking at property and et cetera. And, you know, we, we discuss the planning side of things and, and part of it is talking to a broker to see how much you can borrow. Part of it is um, even discussing uh, sitting down as a couple and just discussing budget and what they're willing to spend and what, you know, and then looking at their budget themselves and working at what they can afford to spend. So I, I could not agree more because there's nothing worse than making a rush decision um, that hasn't been planned out properly because especially when you sign the dotted line um, or a mortgage is set up, it's it's not that simple to just go back in time or it's not that easy to just undo things. Exactly, exactly. And that's been my experience uh, working with many people over the years. And I guess to sort of expand on that point, you know, the, the key things I would say that if you want to be in a strong financial position to sort of build out the portfolio, um, some of the key observations I've noticed from people, you know, they're often in control of their debt position. So they're very aware of, of any personal debts, like any car loans and, you know, credit cards and stuff like that. They know exactly how their cash flow position looks, you know, they know what they're earning and they're generally relying on a small amount or, or no personal debt at all. So those are some key things, I guess, that you can use as sort of barometers to measure where you're sitting personally um, against potentially, you know, some other sophisticated investors. But I do think there's a couple other points that I can sort of potentially add in here that I think can provide value uh, to some listeners. So one of the other, I guess, key things that I want to mention about purchasing properties is that, um, one of the things when you buy an off-the-plan property is there are a lot more risks involved in it than people are typically aware of. And this is one of the things that um, I think we see a lot of first-home buyers uh, jump into without understanding all of the implications around it. Um, and so to give a bit more information on that, because this is quite topical at the moment with a lot of the builders struggling, is that when you're buying an off-the-plan property, you're actually taking on a couple of different risks. So the first is you know with the actual builder themselves. Um, and and then the you know second is you know how the property um, you know values up at the actual time of settlement, but thirdly the other piece is actually the settlement timing. And so what I mean by that is a lot of people will sign contracts and the settlement might be say two years away or something like that, and they might be thinking that that's a good thing because it gives them time to save or something like that. But actually in reality that adds a lot of risk to the transaction because you don't know what lending standards are going to look like in two years, and you can only get the mortgage couple of months ahead of time. And you also don't know where your financial position is going to be in a couple of years either. You know, you might have, you know, set up your own business or you might have changed job or who knows. So, uh, you know, there's a number of things there. So another key point, I guess, is that uh, people need to be very careful of what they commit to with future obligations um, and uh, need to be aware of the risks they're taking on. So that's just something I wanted to, I guess, address today as well, because a, a lot of sort of uh, more junior investors often aren't aware of all the risks they're taking on. Um, does that kind of make sense? And have you come across those uh, issues in your experience as well? Um, d definitely the, the the planning side of things where, you know, for example, somebody will expect to purchase a property in a year or two and then things just pop up essentially, you know, and, and like what you said, whether they change jobs or um, they become self-employed or their income reduces and this all be makes it harder to, to be approved for a loan. Um, but secondly, or it can make it harder to be approved for a loan, I should say. Um, but but the other part about it as well is the goals changing. Um, you know, for example, someone that they, they have a child, um, you know, or um, they decide to move cities because of work or priorities change where, you know, 
today the priority was to to purchase a property, but six months later it's to upgrade the family car, for example, or to renovate downstairs so that you know because the rooms in the house are getting too small, or um, you know, so, so essentially not knowing what's around the corner in two years, which none of us really do. Um, but you're right; there is that added risk if it's like a longer period of time because you just you literally don't know. And I think that's where the planning comes in, where talking to a financial advisor um, or even talking to each other and just planning these things out and thinking, okay, look, these are all of our goals. What are we going to prioritize? What do we have to prioritize? Um, What could potentially pop up over the next couple of years? Um, And how do we manage that risk? Definitely agree with that. And then I guess with um, with the sort of planning piece, you know, as you are in the preparation stages of getting ready to buy a property, um, the good thing with that is that it will sort of remove the emotion a little bit out of the transaction because you are bringing more logic into it. Um, and, and that's because, you know, if you, um, if you think about an idea for a period of time, it does actually marinate in your brain. It's actually a real concept. And so if you actually plan in advance, you're going to have a much more uh, sort of logical approach to the process. And with that, you know, once you take a lot of the emotion out, you're never going to get rid of all the emotion when it comes to buying property generally. But if you can take a lot of the emotion out, it's going to help you in a lot of ways. So, for example, you're going to be less likely to overpay. One of the key issues, you know, is people, they walk in, they see the property, they think, wow, it's beautiful. They, you know, emotionally fall in love and then they just overpay. And that amount, you know, when you're overpaying, you're literally taking money out of your own pocket. So, you know, that's one of the key things I would say is that don't get too emotional about the purchase because you put yourself at risk of, of definitely overpaying. Um, and then further to that, it sort of follows on to, I think people need to be a little bit careful of um, some of the the sales agents that are out there. Um, so, you know, in any in, in, in industry has, you know, some uh, bad eggs and, you know, with that, um, when it comes to property sellers, you will find some out there that are sort of very aggressive in terms of their approach and they may be selling properties that may not be the best. And so you need to be a little bit careful that you don't get sort of um, uh, overly encouraged by some of these people that you might find in shopping centers or, or something like that. So I would just say, you know, that sort of falls under the research piece in terms of, you know, you probably want to be researching what kind of areas you want to be looking at, what sort of price range is going to work for you, you know, how much you've got savings wise looking into your uh, lending side of things um, not just randomly one day turning up uh, seeing something that looks shiny and then putting an offer down without having done that prior work so those are a couple of other um, I guess key things that I have noted uh, as differences between sort of people who are new to the market and um, and sophisticated investors um, and then that leads me on to one other, I guess, uh, point further on that is around signing a contract without finance approval. So, again, you're taking a lot, a lot of risk if you don't have the finance approval. You don't know if the bank is willing to give you the mortgage. Um, you don't know what the valuation of the bank, uh, you know, the bank's value of the property actually is yet. So that's another key thing that I would say is that it's very risky to potentially sign a contract. Um, without actually having finance approval in place first. Um, so I just wanted to go through a couple of, I guess, those points there. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add to that that you've seen additionally uh, or anything as well? I'd love to add to the emotion one because it's 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 like buying anything. You know, the more you take emotion out of it, the the more financially minded you can be about the transaction. 
And uh, as an example, um, you know, which if somebody, I've got a couple recently, they're looking at buying a family car um, and they've planned it out. They've said, okay, our cap is we want to spend 60000 We need it to have this many seats. We need it to, um, I think they wanted it to be no older than two years old, et cetera, et cetera. And online, looking at cars, they were able to narrow that search and be looking at exactly what they need that they've agreed on and they've discussed. And I feel like property is the same thing because if you were to, um, I mean, in this scenario with cars, if they weren't to plan out this whole car situation, they could be searching for cars without any restrictions or any, you know, any guidelines at all or parameters and end up looking at a car that they probably don't really need, but they just like it because it's shiny. And then after they buy it, they work out it didn't really suit what they wanted. It was other, you know, they probably could have potentially spent an extra $20,000 or they didn't think about how many seats it needed and they just got the car and thought that the seats would, no, you know, it'll sort itself out. We'll get, we'll, we'll fit the kids in there somehow. And when I think about, again, property, it's very, very easy to emotionally fall in love with something, especially when you walk into a house and you just look around, you're like, oh, wow, I really want this, you know, whereas if you've done just this planning before and you've you know what you can afford you know what fits within your strategy it, yeah it makes it so 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 much easier and um and i even think from a location point of view it, it makes it it makes the the experience a lot more you can say comforting in a way where for example if you're looking at purchasing an investment property and, and you're looking at locations same thing instead of just looking at the area that you trust and the area that you live in, and this, you'll probably get to this point as well, and it's probably a good segue, but instead of just buying a house in the area that you live in, because you know it, if you plan it, you're probably going to look at other areas um, in other locations and you know t- different types of houses as well. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a free 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au. I agree with that. I think that there's um, a key piece here that I think, like I think a lot of people actually could benefit from actually utilizing a bias agent, which is you know a kind of a new um, uh, industry, if you will, in Australia, where you do actually pay typically a two to two and a half percent fee for a buyer's agent to actually find you a property. I actually um, use one for my latest purchase, and um, a number of my friends have actually used them. Uh, lately as well, like the high net worth people I know. Um, um, so I actually highly recommend a buyer's agent. Now, that said, if that is beyond what you can afford because maybe it's your first or second property and, and you might be sort of um, you know, making sure that you've got enough for the deposit, then that's where I would say that certainly, yeah, you want to be doing that uh, prior research. And you know, um, as you identified, uh, Michael, maybe you would look at other areas that might not be your sort of backyard or, you know, it might be that your backyard is fine to buy um, and, you know, that you might uh, have the confidence around buying there and then have the confidence around holding it for the long term. Um, so I think that, you know, it's not necessarily that you have to um, look at areas away from where you are, uh, more so just that you sort of do that research for, for the time in advance. You know, maybe you've spent six months sort of narrowing down that, you know, you're going to be in this part of the state and you want to be in roughly this area and roughly this price range. And then from there, you know, when the, the property comes up, um, that's when you'll be in a, a good position to feel confident about 
you know the research that you've done and that what you're buying is actually going to suit your needs and um and to your example there you know property versus a car you know the, the thing with property is that if you make a mistake it's much more costly you know once you factor in all the um you know stamp duty and the lawyer and then you know lawyer on the other side when you sell it and then a real estate agent to sell the property you know you you lose a huge amount of money if you make a mistake and need to liquidate it so um i think it's very important that you have a clear view in mind in terms of what what you want to achieve um, and not just sort of randomly, you know, walk into a shopping center on a Saturday and, and see a shiny brochure and go, yeah, you know what, let's just sign here, uh, which surprisingly I see um, uh, quite often. So, uh, yeah, I think that the, the preparation piece is very important and I think that's important so that you don't uh, burn money unnecessarily. So those, I guess, are, those are some of the key pieces there. Did you have anything, I guess, um, that you wanted to add to that? Not really, not really. I think you've summed it up really well. Um, and I think, um, again, when it comes to, I mean, in this episode, we're not getting down to specifics. We're not really talking about, um, you know, which areas you should buy in or anything because this episode could be listened to at any period of time. But I think more and more it just highlights the importance of talking to an expert, um, talking to um, a financial advisor about whether you can afford property, how does it fit in with your other goals? Um, talking to a mortgage broker about the credit side of things to see how much you can borrow. Is it possible to borrow X amount? Is it a good idea? Is it you know what are the implications? Um, and even talking to a property expert about the property side of things. And um, and I've interviewed um, real estate agents before on 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 the show, and we've discussed the benefits and the you know the pros and cons of using a buyer's agent, um, but. Yeah, I, I could not agree more, Jonathan. Like having experts in your corner is probably, I mean, even personally, when I've seen people succeed in investing and succeed in money in general, and you'll you'll probably agree with this, or you'll definitely agree with this, but having experts in your corner is the best thing that you can do. Having people that you can bounce ideas off, having people that can direct you because they've made the mistakes that you're probably going to make. And there's there's nothing better than having someone there that has your best interest at heart to, to to guide you along that journey. And like what you said, as long as they have your best interest at heart and you do need to be careful with who you deal with because unfortunately, especially in, in property, but unfortunately these days there are people that will say that they're looking after you and there's they may, they may not be um, or, they, or not as much as they tell you they are anyway. Exactly, exactly. And so I guess um, to sort of give a, a sort of best practices kind of um, some ideas around that in terms of, um, you know, being property ready to, to buy, um, I guess a couple of things that I'd be thinking of in that, you know, I was sort of preparing for with my latest purchase. So um, obviously you need to uh, be aware of where your budget and everything sits and what you need to be aware of is that the banks are going to look at the prior three months of spending before you go for the application. So they're going to look at your bank statements and any credit cards that you've got open. So they are going to assess that and that's going to um, affect your borrowing capacity. So um, it's important that you start planning, you know, a few months in advance. And then ideally, you know, you would um, get some kind of pre-approval in place. The idea with that being that a pre-approval is where the bank has looked at your position and that they've, you know, signed off on the um, high level approval, you know, of you potentially getting the loan and what you're proposing. And then that way you're reducing the amount of risk that you have. You're pretty much reducing the variable just down to the problem 
property that you're buying. And so once you have that pre-approval in place, then that's when we need to get evaluation done on that property. And so the ideal is that you can get a finance clause or a cooling off period, get that valuation done. And then that way you can confirm that the bank is valuing it at the same price as what you've agreed to pay for it. And then once that's all signed off by the bank and you get formal approval, only at that stage would you go unconditional. That would be the ideal best practices. Now, another way just to, I guess, give a bit of an alternative, some buyer's agents, like when I did my latest purchase, I had the pre-approval in place first. And then what we did was we actually did a private valuation. So I paid for a valuation separate from the bank, from an external valuer to come and value the purchase prior to me um, going like going unconditional on it. And then basically, um, once we had that private value, I actually made an unconditional offer on it and that was to um, sort of undercut the other buyers. But I only did that because I had a lot of um, uh, preparation work that had been done. You know, I had actually got the pre-approval in place. I'd done the private VAL and I had some reserves cash on hand so that if the VAL had come short with the lender that I could still complete the transaction. So I guess just wanted to pass on some of the best practices in terms of, uh, you know, getting yourself ready for your next purchase. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add to that from your experience as well? Um, no, no, it's you've, you've, you've summed that side of things up really well. Um, the, the, the other thing I just want to add to the discussion and especially being the first episode in our property series is just to highlight as well that while property has lots of advantages and um, you know people feel comfortable with property because they cut, can touch and feel it and um, many people have done well out of property historically um, it, it does have its disadvantages as well um, in that you know in no way are we both saying that property is the only way and it's the best way or anything like that and um, just to highlight just a couple of the disadvantages of property um, from my side of things is that you know a, a house isn't liquid. So, you know, if you need to take money out of it, you can't exactly just sell part of a house. You need to sell the whole thing. Um, there's costs involved in having property, which all comes down to that preparation and that research piece that you were talking about. And um, even the risk of, you know, having tenants not paying rent and having to manage tenants. Uh, the costs of entering, of buying a property are there. So there's legal costs. There's, and this all comes part of that, part of this preparation and research is looking at, you know, legal costs, um, deposit required, taxes, you know, stamp duty, all these types of things. And that's where it does help to to seek advice, especially from a, a mortgage broker. Um, and the, the other part about it as well is um, even the um, ongoing repairs and maintenance, et cetera. So these are just some of the disadvantages. Um, and then obviously some of the advantages are the ones that we talked about of, you know, people building wealth through property, um, leveraging property. Um, to purchase more um, and the, the the fact that you can touch and feel it, which a lot of people feel very comfortable with compared to something like shares. We can't really touch and feel, you know, a share. I mean, you could probably print out a piece of paper and play with it, but that's all it's going to do for you. So, <laughs> um, but, um, but, but on that note as well, I mean, could, could you share with us some, probably a, a success story of someone that you know that's in, invested in property um, at a young age um, or even at an old age, actually. So let's take age out of it altogether. Um, can you, and I know that markets do different things at different periods of time. So just because someone did something five years ago that worked for them doesn't mean it's going to work today. But are there any stories that you'd like to share um, of people that you think have really done the right decisions, done their planning, done everything the right way? and are now reaping the benefits of those decisions. 
there's probably so many that I can actually um, sort of identify a, a specific one top of mind, but I'd say a lot of um, a lot of the people that were buying, you know, around the start of COVID were sort of an interesting case study because there was a lot of fear, um, you know, and people were thinking that things were going to go a lot lower, but a lot of, you know, people had sort of been preparing for some time to already buy property. And then when, you know, we did see the start of COVID and some prices start to go down, we did have a number of people that did um, transact and buy properties. And then um, I've been in touch, you know, with a number of those people over the last couple of months. And many of them have just said, you know, that, um, you know, thank goodness that they did actually go ahead and buy it because it's been life changing in terms of the amount of equity that they've created. Um, you know, some people have bought houses that have gone up more than half a million dollars, and it's it's, it's you know um, you know built a significant portion of their you know future potential retirement savings and net worth in a single transaction. Um, there was one guy, um, I think he bought a house in the uh, uh, North Shore of Sydney, and I think it was low two millions. Uh, around end of 2019 or early 2020, and I think it was worth around four million um, at late last year. And we chatted, and he just said, you know, this was the best decision I ever made, and um, you know, it literally it 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 affected his position by millions. So, um, you know, I think that uh, certainly, like you said, property is not a one way street. You can definitely lose money. There are many times over history when property has gone down. So I'm certainly not saying that things just go up all the time and that it's um an easy pathway to riches. It's certainly not. It's a it's a slow um, slow investment vehicle, but I think for some people it, it can really be uh, valuable. And yeah, there's there's just a lot of people that I work with that you know potentially they're at one or two properties and they might get a bit stuck. So maybe they've got a couple of car loans going. Um, you know the income isn't passing at this moment. Maybe they still have a hex debt in place. And so I often work with a lot of these people and say, hey, you know we've got a bit too much personal debt here. We need to get rid of the hex. We need to potentially get rid of this car or potentially downsize the car you know they may need to change their position sometimes people will actually go and live with family to actually um, reduce their overall expenses to build out their portfolio um, so there are a number of things that, that can be done so yeah many success stories over the years um, I've helped a guy he had something like 14 properties and he was locked tight basically with with everyone he had spoken to and then I helped him build um, uh, three townhouses on one of them and, and that again created a chunk of equity so yeah just um, a whole variety of random different um, stories but yeah many I've been lucky enough to see many success stories over the years yeah yeah okay so, so, so really the, the common theme in a lot of that from what I can see is it's not really getting i mean markets do different things at different periods so and it um this applies to any form of investing you know there's literally never a there's never the perfect answer or the perfect investment or anything like that and uh, from what it sounds like the common theme was really just getting advice from someone talking to someone and just and it sounds like those that do investing well especially property it sounds like yeah they might get lucky here and there but they just talk to experts and they plan um, and, and the, just the things that you talked about. And that's what I, I, I really like that you did summarize that at the start of this episode in such a clear um, and practical way, because I want those that listening to this episode that maybe have never invested into property just to, to realize that, that investing in general, um, there's, if there was an easy way to do it, everybody would be doing it. Um, so it's, it's about getting advice and it's about making calculated informed decisions um, that you'll hopefully reap the rewards of later on. Definitely, definitely. 
Um, so I guess, um, you know, from from here, that those were the main sort of points that I wanted to go through today. Um, uh, and yeah, I'd say, look, you know, just start planning well in advance, start narrowing down the areas that you like, um, get some professional help, make sure you're looking at your accounts, looking at your spending, looking at your budgeting. Um, and yeah, seek out professional advice, look to build a team. There are many great people out there that can help you with the process. Um, and um, yeah, um, so I, I, I think, uh, you know, if anyone would like any assistance from me, I'd, I'd love to assist. Yeah, and um, how can they contact you if they want to do that? Yeah, so I work as a, as a mortgage broker. My number is 0423-475-336. I also run the podcast, The Australian Property Podcast, and I have an email address, jp at australianpropertypodcast.com.au. So if you'd like to talk property or your portfolio or anything like that, um, I'd love to hear from you. Cool. Thank you, Jonathan. And lastly, I like to finish off all episodes with a dad joke. Um, so I don't know if you've got a couple up your sleeve, but um, what do you call a fake noodle? Uh, I don't know. What is it? Um, an impasta. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not actually a dad, so I, I, can I pass okay, on the dad pass. joke you're if pass. that's all right? You're, that's fair enough. That's a good excuse. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, I, I got told I was going to be an amazing dad before I had kids. And when I asked them why, they said it's because I've got good dad jokes. <laughs> I was like, cool, thanks. So it's um, it's it's one of my very very um, it's, it's one of my very special talents. Um, and to, to be honest with you, it's um, it, with dad jokes. I've noticed it's one of those things where you normally you need to be in the mood as well to hear a dad joke sometimes because i don't know if you've if you've been in that situation before but sometimes if you're just literally you're just you're just in that mood you're just laughing at something just dropping these jokes i remember once i was with a friend and he just had a list of these jokes in his head i don't know he was just popping them out and they were the most ridiculous jokes in the world but we were just on the floor for just 5 minutes just laughing <laughs> and we sort of forgot it after a while while we were even laughing Oh, that's awesome. But, um, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Again, appreciate your time. Um, and I'm so excited to kick off this property series. And I'm looking forward to having many more um, amazing, good quality guests like yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on Sharing More Than The Sheets. Please make sure you subscribe to be updated with future episode releases. And feel free to share this episode with any friends or family that you think it might benefit. Please visit us at sharingmorethanthesheets.com.au to submit questions or requests for future podcast topics. These podcasts have been brought to you by Better Financial Planning Australia. To book a 15-minute phone chat, visit betterfinancialplanning.com.au.